Okay, so I want to thank you so much for coming. We'll just uh, jump in and uh, see what happens. So uh, this is the week of Pesach Sheni, uh, which is which means, uh, I guess, technically speaking, if you want to just translate it literally, it means the second Pesach, the second Passover holiday. So we know that really there's only one Passover holiday. So what is this idea of a uh, of, 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 of a second of a second one? What's it, what's the origin of it? Where does it come from? What are the roots of it? How are we to understand it? And what does it mean for us? So it's um. It's such a, it's so good, and um, you know, it's funny. I, I was talking to someone that says, you know, a lot of Jews come to shul uh, twice a year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and they get such a warped understanding of of, of what what uh, what it means to be Jewish that if they're only going to come twice a year, really, they should come Purim and Simchas Torah. You know. I mean, then, then they get an idea of the, the joy that, that, that underlies the religion and, and the real heart of the religion. But they come to like the, you know, like the, 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 the scary slash sedentary, <laughs> you know, days. And, uh, and it's all very uh, misrepresented. Um, so, so one of the things that often gets lost in the translation, especially among people who, who haven't uh, had a, a thorough sort of background, is this notion of Pesach Sheni and how, uh, how fundamental it is to, to what it means to be Jewish or what it means just to be in this world. So, so let's, uh, let's go deeper. Let's, let's figure out what the, uh, what the whole holiday is exactly. So simply put, um, simply put, we have this like terrifically central mitzvah, which is called the Korban Pesach. And that's the, that's translated would be as the Passover offering. And, um, and that was sort of like your, your, your membership dues. By the way, I, I heard a, uh, I, I, I heard a joke the other day, uh, which I thought was really funny, which was a, a rabbi was coming in, uh, was coming to, to speak before the, the congregation and he really wanted to instill a sense of like, like seriousness and maybe even fear in them. And so he started off his talk by saying, every member of the shul is going to die. Right? You know, and then, and then someone in the back laughs. And he says, I don't know if you heard me. I said, every member of the shul is going to die. And he laughs again. He says, why are you laughing? He says, because I'm not a member. <laughs> so, so anyway, the membership dues, the membership dues of, uh, of being uh, part of uh, Israel was to bring the, 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 the Passover sacrifice, the Korban Pesach. It's very, very central. And if you didn't do that, then, then you really, I mean, it was very serious. So, 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 so what happens is that historically, uh, an event took place which is really amazing. Um, um, it says in the Torah that, that Yosef, Joseph, uh, Yosef Atzadik, before he dies, he 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 makes the he makes the Jewish people swear that even though he's dying in Egypt, remember there's like a, an amazing contrast between the way Yaakov dies in Egypt and the way Yosef dies in Egypt. The way Yaakov dies in Egypt, he makes Yosef, his son, swear to take his bones and to bury them into Mora Samach Pela, the cave of the patriarchs, where Adam and Eve are buried and where. Abraham and Sarah are buried, and where 
Yitzchak and Rivka are buried, and where Yaakov and Leah are buried. And, and the Medrash says, and the head of Esau, by the way. Mm-hmm. Kind of a P.S. there. But, um, but anyway, so, 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 so Yaakov has to go from, from Egypt straight into Morsamach Pela, and the Zohar says that's the entrance to the Garden of Eden, where heaven and earth kiss. That's, that's the, the place. Okay? So, so Yosef, on the other hand, Yosef dies, and Yosef swears, swears us that, when, that, we're, that the Redeemer is going to come. It's a very different approach. The Redeemer, don't worry, the Redeemer is going to come. One day you're going to get out of the Egyptian servitude, out of Galus Mitzrayim, and when that happens, make sure that you take my bones with you and bring them out with you. So, to me that's so beautiful. Because the whole idea of Yosef, as Reb Shlomo put it, the whole idea of Yosef, see, when Yosef was in Egypt, basically he was the only Jew out of Israel. All the Jews were in Israel, and Yosef was the only one who was out of Israel. And so he was like opening up gates for all times that people who don't live in Israel should be, be able to remain Jewish outside of the land of Israel and to be tzaddikim outside of the land of Israel. And he put that power into the world. He drew that down into the world. And I'll tell you something very amazing. You know, you know when, I first, when I first met my wife, we, we were talking about, uh, like, we were just kind of like talking about names, maybe, that, you know, God willing, we would have children one day, and names that we would maybe name our children. And I don't know why exactly, but I came up with this name. Well, she, had a, she has a grandfather... Uh, Shalom named Yosef so we're thinking maybe we'll name one Yosef and then I thought you know I was thinking what a second name would be I thought you know what would be a good name Yosef Tzion I didn't know why but Yosef Tzion and then years and years later um, I saw in the in the, the, the Tiva Shalom that Yosef is the Gamatria of Tzion Yosef and Tzion have the same numerical equivalent and then I thought about that more deeply and and it's really it's really deep because basically what Yosef Zion means Zion or, or Israel it's often used in the in the Torah to mean Israel so in other words Yosef opened up the gates that even outside of Israel you should be able to reach Israel Yosef Zion it's the same even outside of Israel you should be able to connect to the place of Zion so Yosef is giving us the strength, even in slavery, to connect back to Israel. He didn't say, he didn't say, as soon as I die, like his father had said, as soon as I die, go and take my bones and bring them to Israel. He didn't say that. He said, one day you're going to be redeemed from slavery, and when that happens, make sure that you bring me out with you. So, you know... Again, it's so deep, this idea that, that all of our holy fathers and, 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 and mothers throughout history, it's like they're saying the same thing to us. Mashiach is going to come and um, they're giving us the strength throughout this exile. Just like Yosef remained in Egypt till we left. So all the tzaddikim, all the prayers of the tzaddikim, all that they put into this world are with us until we leave this exile. Um, so when they took out the bones of Yosef, 
those who were carrying the bones, see, it was an amazing thing, just the whole, the whole idea of the bones of Yosef. They put it in an ark and they carried it in this ark. And it says that when we got to the Red Sea and the Red Sea didn't split, that it, that, but then it does split, that it split because of the bones of Yosef. So, how does that work exactly? Because, because the sea, for the sea to split, it has to do something that's not natural for it. So, so when it saw the Jews, the Jews at that point weren't on, on bless you, on, on, on maybe the level that we needed to be to cause that miracle to happen. But Yosef, who completely conquered his nature in the incident with Potiphar's wife and was able to overcome his nature, when the sea saw what Yosef was able to do, it said, so just like you overcame your nature, well, I'll overcome my nature. And so the sea split in, in the merit of Yosef's bones. And then throughout the march through the desert, when we got the Torah and the, and the, and the tablets were put into an ark and were marching through the desert with the, with the tablets in the ark, the bones of Yosef went alongside the tablets in the ark. So there were two arks, one with the tablets in it, with the Torah in it, and the other with the bones of Yosef in it. And people would say, the one who's in there kept what's in there. So they were like, you know, it says in the Gomorrah that people are silly. They kiss a Torah scroll, but a Torah scholar they don't kiss. So that's not like a, a, an exhortation by the rabbis that we should all be like Beatles fans and like run behind men with long white beards and like kiss them. But nonetheless, <laughs> that would be an interesting world, you know? You know? Every time you saw like a Torah scholar walking down the street, you heard a hard day's night, you know, and screaming people. But um, anyway, but the point is a good point, which is that, that as much as, as, as great as the Torah is, the culmination, the full realization of the Torah is a human being who's keeping the Torah. That's the fullest realization of the Torah. Not something that's abstract or, or, or that's, that's, uh, that's not flesh and blood. Um, so anyway, so they're carrying the bones of, de- of, of Yosef throughout the desert and now it comes time to do the Korban Pesach, right? To give the Passover sacrifice, which we said is the, the mitzvah, the membership dues of the Jewish people. That's it. Now, there's, there's sort of like, you know, to offer the, the, the Korban Pesach is, is not so simple. You have to be in a state, men and women both have to be in a state of ritual purity. So, so if a person comes into contact with the dead, they have a status called Tame Nes. There's this, there's this, uh, this thing on them. So the people who were in touch with the bones of Yosef weren't able to offer the Korban Pesach. So they say to Moshe, it's not fair. It's not fair. We want to do it. And Moshe says back to them, you know something, you've got a very good point. And so he asks God, and he says, stand here, and and Hashem is going to tell you what to do. And then Moshe says, you know what, you're right. You You get another chance. One month from now, we would bring the Korban Pesach on the 14th of, of Nisan. One month from now, on the 14th of Er, you're going to have a second opportunity. 
And Rashi says, just so that we should understand um, just how far this goes, on the 14th of Iyar, they would bring the Korban Pesach, but they were allowed to have chametz. In other words, it's not like it's Pesach with all the halachic restrictions of Pesach connected to it. Like you have to, those people would have to clear their house of all bread products and everything like that. It wasn't that. They would bring their, their Korban Pesach and, and that would be it. Okay. And like we discussed last week, there's another opinion that the, that the, uh, that the, the, the people that they came into contact with were actually Nadav and Avihu. After that incident where they brought the strange fire, however, we're able to understand that, and that those were the people who, who, whoever fished those people out of the Mishkan, those are the people who came to Moshe and said, you know, we want a second chance too. Okay. So, if you learn it like that it's Nadav and Avihu, you see something very interesting about the calendar right now, which is that normally speaking, when we read about in the, in the, in the weekly cycle of reading the, uh, the, uh, Parshas of the Torah, they never really connect with the holidays themselves. For instance, when we read Parshas Bo or Parshas Bishalach, which talks about us leaving Egypt, this is in the winter time. It's not, even though it's the story of Pesach, leaving Egypt, we never read it on the holiday of Pesach, the, the normal weekly Parsha. When we get to Parshas Yisro, which talks about the giving of the Ten Commandments, we don't read that during the normal year on Shavuos happens to be that when we have the special holiday readings, we do read those things, but I'm talking about something else, the normal weekly cycle of, the, of reading the Torahs, of reading the Parshas of the Torah. They don't sync with the holidays themselves. And yet, this week we read about Nadav and Avihu, and, uh, and this week is Pesach Sheni. So, so, so right, that, that says to me, just speaking personally, that really the gates are open right now. The gates are super open right now for second chances. Um, so what are the roots of this idea of the second chance? So I heard from Reb Shlomo that, that, uh, that Yosef HaTzadik, his mother is Rachel. And you know you have a mitzvah in the Torah that a man can't marry two sisters. And yet you see that Yaakov married Rachel and Leah. So how can it be that when you have got an explicit commandment not to marry two sisters, he married two sisters? Okay, so there are a lot of ways to understand that. And I'll give you a couple of the ways because they're really interesting. You know, how he basically was able to keep the commandment of not marrying two sisters while he was married to two sisters. I'm sure you want to hear how he, how he accomplished that. Um, and yes, uh, I will explain that in a moment. But first... Let me just give you the, the sort of the lineage of second chances because this is, uh, I think this is very beautiful. So, so Rachel, you know, gave, gave, you see, she's the younger sister and Leah's the older sister. So everyone knows this. And, and the, the marriage night comes and really, Yaakov is supposed to marry Rachel. But what happens? Lovin switches them. And Rachel knew that, that that was going to happen. And so in order that her sister shouldn't be embarrassed, publicly embarrassed, right? Because there's a chuppah taking place and the whole, everyone was there. In uh, Paden Aram. You know, you want to hear something weird? That was in Paden Aram. That's where they lived. 
That's how I pronounce it anyway. I'm sure that's not the way you're supposed to pronounce it. But the, way I, the reason why I pronounce it that way is because I spent my summers growing up in Peyton Arum in Massachusetts. <laughs> I, I think that it was, uh, it must have been, you know, the people who settled the colony of Massachusetts were all like Christian Torah scholars from, from England, you know? And so they named all of these places after biblical places. So, it, I, you know, like later in life when I realized, you know, that Peyton Arab was like, you know, it wasn't just the place with the, 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 you know, the dock and the donut store, but, you know, that's where, that's where Yaakov, you know, brought down the 12 tribes, you know, with, you know, with the Holy Mothers. But anyway, um, amazing. So, so he doesn't want, he doesn't want Leah to be embarrassed. And he gives her over the secret signs that, uh, that Yaakov and, and, and Rachel had, had privately come up with to make sure that this wasn't going to happen. So because Rachel doesn't want to embarrass her sister, Yaakov ends up marrying Leah. But here you see, here you see the depth of who Rachel was. And she's called the Karis Habayas. She's called the, the mother of the house. So she's considered even more, amazingly, even more than Sarah on some level, she's considered the mother of the house. So the, the primary holy mother, which is, which is an amazing thing. In fact, you see an example of that in the month of Iyar. Because Iyar is Roshi Tevos. It stands for, it's spelled like this, um, Iyar, the, the month that we're in right now, is Aleph Yud Yud Resh. And there are different acronyms for that, but one of them um, is is Abraham for the Aleph, Yitzchak for the for the Yud, Yaakov for the next Yud, and for the Resh Rachel, because she's the primary mother. Okay, so so now Rachel is in a tight spot because she's given away her sister, and a man can't marry two sisters. So so, but what you see is is that because of, because of her awesome level of spirituality, Hashem opens up gates for her that, that she's, married, she's able to marry Yaakov anyway. And so, in other words, this whole concept of a second chance, which Yosef brings into the world through his bones, was actually his lineage, his destiny, which was initiated through his mother's line. And that's what his mother Rachel was able to accomplish. So here you see it's sort of like in the blood. It's in the genes, this destiny, this message, which we bring out. An incredible, an incredible thing. So now let me approach it from a more sort of like technical halachic angle. How a man is, mar- is able to marry two sisters when it says you can't marry two sisters. Okay? So one explanation, the most famous explanation, is given by the Ramban. And he says like this, they weren't living in the land of Israel. And before the Torah was given... It's true that the Avos kept all 613 mitzvahs, but because the Torah hadn't been given yet, that was really for them to keep in the land of Israel. Since this took place in Syria, which is where Paid Aram is, so that's outside the land of Israel, and that's where they got married, and so they were able to do that. And in fact, as they're journeying back to Israel, we see that Rachel dies on the way back to Israel. So, so you, you can understand it in that context. But I like the next explanation. I'm going to give you much better, <laughs> much less well-known. It's from the Opter Rebbe. And now listen to this. This is very, very deep. 
He says, every mitzvah has a body and has a soul. So you have the light inside of the mitzvah, and then you have the way to perform the mitzvah. The body and the soul of, of the mitzvah. Now, after we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, the soul of the mitzvah is embedded inside of the body of the mitzvah. For example, if a person wants to do the mitzvah of tefillin, the only way they can do the mitzvah of tefillin is by putting on tefillin. Okay? Makes sense. If you want to give um, tzedakah, you have to do it through giving tzedakah. You can't do it some other way. Okay? Because the soul and the body are fused after Mount Sinai. Okay, but before Mount Sinai, so listen to what the Aftar Rebbe says. He says that one could access the soul of the mitzvah, the essence of the mitzvah, not through the body of the mitzvah. Which means that one could keep the mitzvah of not marrying two sisters, not by not marrying two sisters, but another way. Because one could access the soul of the mitzvah, not through the body of the mitzvah. So it comes out, so in other words, Yaakov kept that mitzvah, the mitzvah of not marrying two sisters, but he kept it a different way. So it comes out that he's actually able to be married to two sisters while keeping the mitzvah of not marrying two sisters. Because the soul and the body of the mitzvah hadn't been fused together yet. Does everyone follow that? No? How? I'll answer... With, 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 I don't know how is the answer, but I'm going to give you an example which will answer the question in a different way. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that Yaakov Avinu, when he was peeling, do you know the thing where, um, where he was peeling twigs? Okay, so basically he had all these deals going with love and for salary. You know? And, and one of the most mystical things, the Ari comments on this and one of the deepest, most far-out things was, what was Yaakov Avinu thinking when he says, okay, I get the speckled sheep? Okay, from now on, like, they're having, like, a whole, like, reordering of what our financial arrangement is. And he goes, okay, you know, I get the speckled sheep, you get the unspeckled sheep. And it seemed like at that point, like, Lovin thought, wow, this is, like, the best deal in the world. Because apparently, the way it was coming out at that point, the speckled sheep were in the minority. Okay? So... So what Yaakov Avinu did was he took twigs and he peeled the twigs and he put them by the, the watering uh, trough where the, um, where the sheep would drink. And when the sheep looked at those peeled twigs, okay, they would also mate by there and they would see the peeled twigs and, um, and their offspring would be spotted. Okay? Very mystical stuff going on there. And then, and, and he was able to separate, and they say also this was, on a very deep level, the idea of that when, when Tov and Ra got intermingled by eating by the Eitz Hadas, you know, by the tree of knowledge, when good and bad got intermingled, you know, because, because to, biblically, biblically speaking, when we say Adam knew Eve, we're talking about a, a, a physical joining between them. Um, you know, in, 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 the, in the marital sense. So, 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 so the idea of knowing means to intermingle. Okay? So, so the idea is that when he separated, when he separated the spotted sheep
from the ones who weren't spotted, he was undoing the intermingling of bad and good that had entered into the world by the eating of the Eitz Hadas. Okay, so in other words, there are very, very deep mystical concepts associated with what was going on with Yaakov Avinu at that moment. Okay, and I'll, I'll throw in something else, which is the idea that this is what the sheep were looking at while, while they were mating. There's an idea, uh, women should know, that when they leave the mikvah, uh, a mikvah night, that, that, uh, that what, the first thing that they see, there's a sort of a correlation between that and what the child can look like. So, as a result, there's a story in the Gomorrah, which is that Rabbi Yochanan, who is one of the best looking men in the history of the world, and one of the greatest sages, would actually sit outside the women's mikvah as a public service to the Jewish people. <laughs> that the women were able to look at him after they left, and then that was like, you know, you know, like, we're going to get better looking as a people as a result. <laughs> and they said to him, like, you know, like, you know, that's a, you know, they said to him, that's a little far out what you're doing, man. Aren't you, like, concerned you'll get a bad eye or something like that? And he's like, no, I'm a descendant of Yosef, and, like, you can't, like, give me a bad eye. I'm, like, bulletproof in that sense, you know? So, so anyway, but this idea of, of one's thoughts at the moment of conception are, are very important, and it's, uh, a person has to be thinking about, you know, the, the, the neshama of the offspring, the soul of the offspring, and all the uh, attributes that, that one wishes for, for the soul that you're trying to bring down. So that's, a, that's an important point. But anyway, all of this is leading up to the answer that you asked, I didn't forget, which is that Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says that when Yosef was peeling the sticks, he was actually keeping the mitzvah to fill it. Okay? So, so in other words, that's an example. You said, how did, he, how did Yaakov keep the mitzvah of not marrying two sisters while he was married to two sisters? The answer is, I don't know. But here is an example from Rabbi Nachman of how he was keeping the mitzvah of tefillin without putting on tefillin. So in this way he was accessing somehow the soul of the mitzvah of tefillin without going through the body of the mitzvah, which is the straps itself. Okay? Could be at another point in his life he was also putting on the straps itself. I don't know. And in fact, Rabbi Nachman brings this down in an account of when, you know, if, if any of you haven't read this, I highly recommend it. It's in the, it's in the beginning of um, a book, it's in English, I think it's in a bunch of languages, it may even be in Russian also, by the way. I think it's maybe in French also. They've, they've got, a lot of the Breslov books are in, in a lot of different languages. And um, he gives an account, it's about a hundred pages long. It's one of the most thrilling things I've ever read in my life. Someone should make a movie out of it. It's the trip, Rebbe Nachman's trip to Israel. And it's absolutely amazing. And believe it or not, he actually set sail to Israel during the Napoleonic War, where there are battleships, like, firing at each other. Like, he's on a ship in the middle of the Napoleonic War. It's absolutely amazing. And there are pirates all over the place, as though, you know, like the Napoleonic War wasn't enough. It's, it's really incredible. And he, he thinks during this, if I lose my tefillin, what am I going to do? And then he goes, aha, you know what I'll do? I'll get a stick and I'll undo the bark on the stick like Yaakov did at that time and that's how I'll keep the mitzvah of tefillin. So that's, that's the context where he brings it. Um, 
So anyway, yeah. I don't know. You have to ask someone who, uh, I don't know. Sounds good. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, though, as long as we're talking about Rachel and Leah, which is that, I'll, t- I'll tell you two things, which is one is a, this, a, a, a great thing about the secret password. Okay, I hope I get this straight, because it's a little complicated, but it's especially complicated if I say it over completely incorrectly. But, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll say it right. But just tune in, because it's kind of cool. Here was the password. Here was the secret password, according to one opinion. I heard this from Rabbi Sitchon, which is that, which is that uh, Yaakov was supposed to say under the chuppah, who are you? Right? And then, and then Rachel was supposed to answer, Amleya. That was the secret password. Why? Why? Just see how it works out. So the, the secret password is Amleya. Why? Because if, if, it, if, it, if it turned out to be Leah under the chuppah, what is she going to say if Yaakov says, who are you? She's, about, she's going to say, I'm Rachel. Right? She's not going to say, I'm Leah. Right? So that way, I'm, I'm Leah turns out to be the secret password. Because, okay? Now listen to this. So, so, but would Leah lie like that? Couldn't be. So under the chuppah, Yaakov says, who are you? Like this is the secret, ba- the secret password back and forth. And Leah says, I'm Leah. She's telling the truth. And so Yaakov goes, okay, good. Right? So now he knows that it's really Rachel because that was the secret password. Because Leah wouldn't really say that she's Leah because she's participating seemingly in this deception. So she would say, I'm Rachel, right? So she says, like the, the password, she says, I'm Leah. And then Yaakov says, good. And then Leah goes, no, 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 I'm really Leah. He goes, no, I understand, it's good. And she says, no, I'm Leah. He goes, good, I understand. <laughs> you didn't follow. Yeah. 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 So, so, so hopefully, hopefully you follow that. So, so in other words, in this way, Rachel is actually giving over the secret, and Leah is actually telling the truth all at the all at the same time. Now, listen to this, because it always, I always had a question, which is that how how is it if Yaakov and Rachel were really the primary soulmates, seemingly? I mean, although although as we learn, Leah sort of becomes his primary soulmate as over the course of their marriage which is a beautiful thing because, you know, as people grow in marriage, you know, ideally they're becoming closer and closer over a period of time. And so, so Leah, Leah uh, really does become his soulmate. But anyway, the, the question seemingly, if you just read it on a very simple level, seemingly Rachel was that primary one, at least initially. So how could it be then that Mashiach comes from Leah? Because Yehuda who's the who's the beginning of the messianic line right Yehuda comes from Leah so shouldn't Yehuda come from Rachel shouldn't Mashiach come from really who that initial primary soulmates are and so I want to say the following which is that 
that one's mitzvahs are considered their children. So all of us have giant families. Whether we have physical children or not, and we should all be blessed with healthy children, but whether we have them or not, we should know that each one of us are the mothers and fathers of huge families because our mitzvahs are our children. So when, Leah, when, when Rachel gave away her soulmate to her sister so that her sister shouldn't be embarrassed, think of the giganticness of the mitzvah that she brought into the world. And if you call that the child, because mitzvahs are correlate with children, that child bears the marriage between Yaakov and Leah, which physically bears Yehuda. So in that way, Rachel really is the mother of Mashiach, because the child, the deed that she put into this world, produced that offspring. So, so there you see, there you see for sure, like Rachel brought this incredible Geula into the world. Okay, so, so I want to say another talk about Pesach Sheni, and you should know it's Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, and the mitzvah or the custom is for it's not a mitzvah, it's a custom that all of us uh, you're supposed to eat matzah. Okay, so Tuesday night, Wednesday, some point in there, eat some matzah. Okay, so, so now listen to this. We have a Talmudic principle, which is that if someone really wants to do a mitzvah, but for some reason is prevented from doing a mitzvah, then it's counted as though they did the mitzvah. Okay? So a person, in order to achieve this level, really has to want to do it. And they're stopped for whatever reason. Okay. So now, why, if you apply that, you see that the people came into contact with the bones of Yosef, or not of Nevi, whoever it was, you see that they really wanted to do the mitzvah of bringing the Korban Pesach, and because they were in this, this, this place, they couldn't. So why didn't they just stop there? Halachically speaking, they didn't have a further obligation. They wanted to do the right thing. They were prevented from doing the right thing. Shite. It should end there. That should be the end of the story. But here you see the depth of the Jewish soul, which is that it wasn't enough for them to be sort of like officially counted as though they had done the mitzvah. That wasn't enough for where they were holding. A Jew wants to connect to God so deeply that they also want to be able to be able to do the action. A person, the ideal state of a person in terms of their relationship with God is that, is that they can't not do it. They can't not. You know, Reb Shlomo would say all the time, he said, you would ask him a favor, he would say, how could I not? Right? That was one of his most frequent expressions. How could I not? Because it's this idea of being beyond choice. Like I'm so connected, I, I don't have a choice. Not that I don't have a choice in the sense of I'm being coerced. And it's, and it's, a, and it's a hardship. It's, it's the complete thousand percent opposite of that. How can I not? I mean, how, how can I not? It's the, it's the most positive expression in the world. And because God saw that level of, of yearning and desire, He said, okay, I'm opening up gates. I'm opening up gates. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but it seems like if you apply the idea you just mentioned to the idea of how Yaakov could marry both sisters, yeah. you're mentioning the idea that even after the Torah was given, the soul of the mitzvah and the body of the mitzvah can be separated when someone wants so badly to do the mitzvah and can't. 
can you apply it in the reverse? I know that it's a prohibition one should marry two sisters. Okay, keep on going. He so much didn't want to marry two sisters, but he had no choice. And so he was fulfilling the soul. Oh, that's interesting. Not the body. So in other words, he... Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I don't know. I have to think about that. But I, I, would, I would throw in one more thing, which is that after Mount Sinai, the soul and the body are connected at this point. We can't use that logic today. We can't say, you know something, I'm going to keep Shabbos by being the first online to see Pirates of the Caribbean 3. <laughs> and I am going to access the beauty and the soul of Shabbos through Johnny Depp. You know, like we can't, like today that doesn't work. It doesn't work, even if we feel as though, how can I not be first online to see it? <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun. I'm being, I'm being serious right now. So we can't, we, can't, we can't do that today. However, we do still have the fruits of this gate which is open, which is this gate of second chances. We have second chances and third chances and 80th chances and 10,000th chances. It's like, it's like this aspect of the world was revealed in, a, in an incredible extra dimension. And so it's not that we can now do the mitzvah our own way, but we have endless opportunities to do the mitzvah. As long as we're sincere. You know what I mean? As long as, as, as part of us really desires it. So I don't know if that was really an answer to your question. I know it wasn't, now that I see you shaking your head a lot. <laughs> but nonetheless, we have to leave it at that, because otherwise, otherwise, uh, otherwise I, I just need more time to think about it, is, is the honest truth. But, um, but, um, is there something that I, I, yeah. I thought that when Rachel gave the sign, yeah. You mean after the fact, after the wedding, after the wedding with, with, with Leah? Then God said to Yaakov, you can marry, or said to, to Rachel, you can marry Yaakov, whichever one. For some reason, I thought there was a God interference there from what I remember. Am I off? I don't know. Well, clearly Yaakov did it. And Yaakov didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like, no one says, how could you have married two sisters? You, you don't see that. You see, you see like, like the famous Ramban, how could Abraham say that Sarah was his sister. Right? So you see that people aren't shy about criticizing the Avos. But you don't really see anyone saying, how could Yaakov have married two sisters? You don't, you don't see any criticism from it. So clearly, for, there's some formulation where, where, where it was okay, seemingly. You know? So it was supposed to be that Leah married Esau and Yaakov. Right. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard that. But, you know, the simplest way to say what we said earlier is from the Ramban that when, they, when the Avos were outside the land of Israel, somehow they were just, they, were, they just had the, the din of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach on them. And since that isn't one of them, then it was, they were in a, a place where they could do that. 
but they're, they're, different, they're different accounts. So it could be I'm just not familiar with what you're saying. So, so I just want to end on one point, um, which, is, which is something that I've noticed in myself, and, and I just want to share it with you guys, since I, I see somehow, um, somehow, for me, part of, the, part of my understanding, or just part of what I do with this time right here, is just kind of give you a personal report, like a field report on, on my conversations and with God, and then... You know, it's a, kind of like a cooking show. You know what I mean? It's like I try out some recipes. I share them with you. You know what I mean? They're all kitchen tested first, you know. So, so one thing that I noticed, and this might not strike you as so significant, but I would just ask you to think about it because it is significant. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. It's just that it just might not hit your ear like something meaningful initially. But I would just ask you to think about it, which is... Um, which is, which is the, the, the whole concept of making blessings. I'm just shifting gears a, a little bit right now, but since this whole, this whole um, talk is, is just geared on um, you know, living with God, this is kind of like a, a primary idea in that. So anyway, here's the idea. The whole idea of making blessings. And I think most of us fall into the following category where, where we treat a blessing... Hopefully we're all saying blessings. If we're not, it's a great thing to do where you're just sort of like, before you eat uh, something, you're just acknowledging that it comes from God and there's a little kind of like, there's a, you know, maybe it takes about two seconds to say and you just say something where you acknowledge and thank God for it. And after you go to the bathroom or whatever it is, just that your body is working and that you're in a good place in that way, there's a, there's a blessing at, at that place as well. Anyway, so after you leave the bathroom, of course. So, so anyway, uh, most of us, I think, treat blessings, we just, we just rattle them off. And, and I think most of us also, after we rattle them off, then we have a quick moment of fear where we don't even know whether we said the blessing or not. And then we're in a quandary with, can I say the blessing again? Because you're not supposed to repeat a blessing if you've already said the blessing. And now it's, a, it's like, this is just sort of like, you know, this is just life for most of us, I would say. Okay. So, so... So here's a problem. Here's a, there's a fundamental problem with that. I, I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. I think we all hear that there's a problem with that. But, but, but I just want to approach it from this angle. There, this is the fundamental problem with that, which is that, which is that we're treating a blessing like a government permit, like we're applying for a government or a city permit in order to eat an apple. Okay? So in other words, it's a complete bureaucratic exchange. And that is the problem that I, I want to focus in on. It's sort of like, Okay, I filled out the form, I'm at, picture yourself at the desk in City Hall, right? You slide it under the window, and now you can eat the apple. Okay? So I, I really just, I'm speaking about myself right now, but I imagine that most people fall into this category. That's what a blessing is. And that's a complete abuse of our relationship with God. Because we are literally talking to God at that moment. We're not saying something like, okay, I said these words, now I have permission to eat this thing. We're literally talking directly to God at that moment. Thank you, God, for bringing this apple into the world, master of the universe, and then you eat it. So, so, so if we're, 
if we're looking for where the disconnects are in terms of our relationship on a daily basis with God, because I think all of us, anyone, anyone who's here anyway, for sure wants to have that measure of closeness is serious, as a, is serious about their relationship. Look to the brochas that you're making, the blessings that you're making during the day and how you're making them. At the moment that you're making it, are you saying it like you're applying for a permit? Or are you saying it directly to God and I promise you, it'll take you within two or three seconds the exact same amount of time to say it, but it will transform your relationship with God and change your day. Okay, have a good week.